Are you tired of hearing people complain about the world and ready to own the responsibility to make the world a better place? Hey, my name is Brent Simpson and welcome to this episode of Creating the Future. I believe that within each of us is a yearning to make the world a better place. So let's work together and make that desire a reality. My hope is that today's conversation inspires you as you endeavor to create the future. Have you ever struggled to make big decisions? Have you ever been in the middle of a decision and thought, I don't know if I'm making the right decision? (laughs) Well, you are in luck because that's today's conversation as we have Dr. Alan Ehler with us. He wrote a great book called How to Make Big Decisions Wisely, and he's going to take us through a step-by-step plan of making good decisions. Uh, Alan Ehler holds a D-Men from George Fox Evangelical Seminary, and he's a professor and dean at Barnett College of Ministry and Theology at Southeastern University uh, in Lakeland, Florida, and uh, you're going to love it. One of my big takeaways is when he talks about story shaping and how we shape our stories, and I have read the book. I endorse the book. I love it, and uh, make sure you get a copy of it as well. So let's jump into this conversation with Dr. Ehler. Hey guys, want to welcome all of you to the Creating the Future conversation, and I'm super excited to have Dr. Alan Ehler with me. Uh, Dr. Ehler's been a friend of mine for years and just wrote an amazing book called How to Make Big Decisions Wisely, a biblical and scientific guide to healthier habits, less stress, less stress, a better career, and much more. Um, and, uh, and I had the privilege of, of getting this book from uh, Alan himself. And, uh, and read it right away. And I was just blown away by the book and thought it's really something I would love to be able to bring to more people. And I think we can all learn from this because we all have decisions to make. And so uh, no matter what your career path, you are going to be faced with big decisions from time to time. And how you respond to those decisions will really create a future for you, good or bad. And so, so Alan, welcome to, the, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Brent. It's an honor to be with you. Yeah. So one of the things I love about this book is that it's very practical and having known you and actually sat through some, some lectures you've done on this subject before it ever got published and put into writing uh, and really appreciating the fact this wasn't some pie in the sky philosophy that just came out of nowhere. This is really tried and tested uh, things that have been found true in your own life. And so, so let's begin by just talking about that. Like where did the philosophies from this book come from in your own life? Well, my own journey started as a young Christian. Jesus met me at age 18, and uh, he started growing, devouring scriptures, the word of God. And, and then as I got involved in the church and got, got involved in some churches where people would come up to me and they'd say this little phrase, oh, well, the Lord told me. And I was thinking, oh, that's interesting. I remember reading that in the Bible. Oh, you know, what do you, what do you mean by that? And you would hear that, and I became fascinated by it, and it got me thinking, you know, well, there were times in my life when I had that transcendent, boom. I mean, even even coming to Jesus, that was, that was not something I intended. It was a supernatural encounter, and it got me thinking, should I be experiencing this on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. And, and as I had been taught to go to the Bible on any questions related to faith and, and practice and the way God works, I started studying the Scripture. And, and looking at it and 
still praying and, and listening with something, having listening prayer I read about and would spend time in reflection and, and getting a sense, okay, God, is this something you want me to do? And, and would try to live that out. And for example, getting a call to ministry was something, again, transcendent and unmistakable. I didn't know exactly all the details there, but I would periodically find decisions that I got that, this is it, I know it's this. And there's other times I'd scratch my head and go, this is a big deal. Uh, I'm not hearing from you, God. Is this my problem? Are you not speaking? Am I not looking? in the right place right, and, and right. kind of going through those and and found that uh, throughout life that was the case and I got into ministry many years ago I left the Air Force uh, as active Air Force officer started as an associate pastor for five years became a lead pastor uh, and while I was serving at a church finished my master's degree my master of divinity work started a doctor ministry but while, before I started the doctor ministry I, I had a class for my MDiv as we call it that I had needed to do a, a New Testament study, but I had freedom to choose what the topic was. And it just hit me, this is the time to do this. I would love to see, you know, we've got in the book of Acts, we got this record and Dr. Luke was so meticulous in the way he wrote. And he, mm -hmm. I studied Greek by then and, and knew and understood that and recognized that often heard it said that Luke and the author of Hebrews have the highest, most refined Greek in the whole New Testament. I thought this is it, a great way to study. And I started to study how he recorded, very specific about the words he used in terms of how Paul made decisions. And I thought this would be fascinating to see. Did Paul make more decisions like the, the divine stuff? Like we know about it. Like we're on the road to Damascus. The Lord knocks him off his horse. No question there. Um, and other cases where he had a dream or a vision. But Luke records actually a slight majority of the times. He uses words like decided or reasoned uh, right. to use for Paul's decisions, which are very nuanced Greek words to say, no, that was inside his mind. There wasn't something else going on out there. So as a result of that, it got me thinking, well, okay, that explains why I didn't always hear from God, um, <laughs> even as much as I'd rather. I mean, wouldn't it be nice that every day you wake up, okay, God, just give me my to-do list, download it right. to my phone, okay, all right, okay, God, I got this, we're going to make this happen. Yeah. Uh, but that's not the way it happened, and yet, and yet what I found was I did get some of those occasionally. I don't get the dreams, but I remember being a pastor and being woken up with a cold sweat at 2 o'clock on Sunday morning. Alan, you need to preach something differently. I'm like, okay, Isaiah 55, here we come. I haven't studied this. And I get out of bed, look at the passage, and the Holy Spirit shows up and rocks the place. I mean, it's like, okay, it wouldn't happen every Sunday. No, God doesn't allow me to be that lazy. He wants me to do the study the rest of the time. And, and so as I found that, but then I began when I came to – Southeastern seven years ago, was assigned a class to teach. You were in the third class I ever taught of the shape of practical theology. Okay. And the whole concept of that class is how do we blend our theology when what we practice in ministry? How does what we believe affect what we do? And you think about it as a pastor, that's everything. Mm -hmm. And so I started reading all of these things uh, related to that and realized decision-making is at its core of practical theology. What you put into practice is a decision and you want to know is God speaking is God at work if so how is he at work and how do I integrate what he is showing me into right. what I do and what I practice and I also found that practical theology by its nature is multidisciplinary I'd already been doing a lot of reading about brain science for my own dissertation on preaching I, I found that there are two different ways people make big decisions um, in this world called persuasion psychology and sometimes like you ever go to a car dealership 
Mm-hmm. You show up there and you look at, oh, wow, that's a beautiful car. Oh, can I drive it? And the salesman picks up on that. Yeah, I'd love to. Let's go for a ride. You go, oh, yeah, this is it's so exciting. And you go out there, oh, wait, I can't I want to buy this car. And like, okay, here, let's sign the paperwork. Boom, you got a car. Okay. You, you know, that was not a reasoned decision. That was a gut feel. That's what we call uh, what Daniel Kahneman calls a quick decision. Um, right. And then, but then there are those people who like, before you ever show up at the dealership, they're getting all of the Kelly's blue books and they're reading the, the consumer's digest and the consumer reports and they're looking up every book and they know exactly what price they need to ask for. They've read all the reviews and okay, now I'm going to visit seven dealerships and I'm going to go with this car, whoever gives me the best deal on it. And for them, it's a reason process. And, and the same thing happens when we preach. And that was my dissertation was in preaching, some people are going to respond because the Holy Spirit speaks to them. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Jesus, you got me. Other people are like, no, I got to work through this. Okay, where do you find this? How does this work? And so there's a place for both of those. And so as a result of that, I felt like in this class, I need to integrate what's missing and looked at all of the the models of practical theology that I found were either really esoteric and out there, um, or they were pragmatic, but they didn't give place for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so if, if God speaks... Sometimes in the transcendent voice of God kind of way, we need to have a place that allows for that. Yet at the same time, just like Paul wasn't held hostage when when he didn't get the vision or the dream, like I love Acts 16. He's heading out on his second journey, and he's going there, and he says, I want to go to to the province of Asia. Capital city is Ephesus, second largest, maybe third largest city in the Roman Empire. We want to plant a church there. We can impact the world. It makes reason sense, yet it says the Holy Spirit did not permit them. And so what are you going to do? Okay, something happened. We don't know exactly what happened. He didn't say yes, but he did say no. And so Paul, does he sit there and stop in the middle of the road and cry? No, he kept going. So he started to go north. He wanted to go to Pontus and Bithynia. And then again, Luke writes, the spirit of Jesus did not permit him. Mm-hmm. And once again, he didn't stop, but he kept going till he got to Troas, and he got there, and he got the vision of the man from Macedonia. And even in that case, it took them getting together. First time we read Luke in his own letter, it says, we reason that the Lord was calling us to Macedonia. It took a process until they got it clear, but they went and they planted churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and made it eventually to Corinth. And and, yeah. and God, for whatever reason, God could have told them before they even left Antioch, hey, come on over to, over to Philippi, we'll get started. But that's not the way it happened. So I want to have a model that takes into account everything that Scripture says about how decisions are made, gives openness to the voice of the Holy Spirit and divine guidance, yet also doesn't leave us trapped and allows us to use the best of the scientific world from neuroscience, from decision science, from philosophy to say, okay, what do you really care about what matters most Mm. and how do you go through the process? What are the proven techniques in making a good decision? Let's put it together in a simple, easy to use model for decision making that I can use for my own decisions, uh, the organization I lead, even resolving conflict. I got a chapter in there on that. Yeah, and I loved your book because it is so practical. It is something that's almost a step-by-step guide for having those big decisions. And anybody can make the impulse decision like you were talking about at the car lot, right? Uh, but that's where you get the the buyer's remorse and the regret the next day sometimes. You know, sometimes. if you really process that decision and you've spent weeks and, you know, however long finding out the best deal, the best location, the best car, the best car lot, all those kind of things – Uh, you know, not that you can't have regrets, but it's far less likely because you've processed out the decision. And and so oftentimes as leaders, we can be gut oriented 
And so we lead from our gut, which does work to an extent, but some of the big decisions, we really do have to sit back and, and look at the, the big picture there. And, and uh, so, so in your book, you talk about the um, uh, story shaping. And that's a big part of the book and talking about the process of story shaping. Just, just let's talk about that for a second. Explain that to, to everybody. What does that mean? I, I, you came up with the phrase story shaping a little bit from my own doctoral mentor, Leonard Sweets, one who kind of helped me work through that. And, and the idea is it's uh, your life is a story. Everything is a story. And that's what we love going to a movie. You're, you're, you're paying somebody to tell you a story. You read a book. You hear the right. story. And your life as it goes through, when you think about the story, you're born into a story. It didn't begin at your birth. You're born into your family, into your country, into your society, into the realities of whatever situation that, that are there. And yet your decisions affect your story. They don't mm. cause everything that happens. And, and so a word that best describes that is shaping. You shape right. the outcome. Even when you make right. a decision, you can buy the best car in the world, but somebody runs into you, a drunk runs a red light, your car's toast. Okay, you didn't have anything to do with that. Yet you can make the choice to, okay, somebody I hear somebody squealing their brakes there, I'm going to wait. Okay, your choices do affect the outcome. So that's the idea. And, and it's a four-step process in simple. First step is to read the backstory. That is, I want to take a look at whatever situation I'm in, whatever decision I'm facing is not just a decision on its own. Uh, it's got a whole bunch of things that affect it. And that is things, uh, in, depending again, if it's a, an ongoing issue, a one-time decision, if it's buying a house, buying a car, choosing a, a spouse, uh, or planning a new organizational endeavor. You want to you know, launch a new business or launch a new branch or a new church campus, whatever, it, it, you're looking at something where there is some sort of a backstory. So you want to find out what that backstory is. Part of that is, okay, what is good about what we have? What needs to change? What should I get rid of? Things like that. What cannot change? What must never change? And who are the people right. involved that need to be a part of this process? Uh, some decisions, decisions are quicker to make on your own, but you get a bigger buy-in when you bring more people. So you want to be sure you got the right people part of that process. That's all that shape the the reading the backstory second one is catching god's story uh, and, and again we want if god's speaking we want to be attuned to that if i say jesus christ is my lord i'm ready to do whatever he says and we first right. turn to scripture that is the objective word of god the authority for the church throughout all ages if the bible speaks to it i don't need to ask god if okay there's a really cute girl i'd like to have an affair with her no i'm married i made a vow to cura there is right. no other woman ever going to be in my life that way no question no question right. whatsoever okay because the bible says that you know um, there, but there's other things it doesn't say. It doesn't say if I should buy a Ford or a Chevy or a Honda or a Toyota. That's that's not in there. So okay, there's things that God. But sometimes God speaks through the Holy Spirit. We get that still small voice like Elijah got. Um, we may get a dream or a vision, a prophetic word from somebody else. I tell the story in my book about how I wound up southeastern. Part of that was a confirmation of a prophetic word out of mm -hmm. nowhere. Incredible. Um, uh, and then we're also open to the voice of others. And, and God often speaks to us through the right. church, right. through getting together. And, you know, and think of Acts 15 as a great example, again, from my studies about how the church had to come together and wrestle with this question. Can Gentiles become Christians without adopting all of the Jewish activities right. and right. actions? And, and it was in the process that they heard from God. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you, enter, you emerge from step two, you're either going to, yes, I know for sure what God wants me to do. No, I don't have any idea. God has not spoken. Or number three, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe not. So if the first one, okay, we can go jump down to start planning and writing the new story. But if not, then we want to do what's called crafting a new story. And I use the word a instead of the because most of the time we get held hostage by there's only one right answer. There's only one perfect decision. In reality, there may be a lot of good options, and, and, and we get stuck by that. And so we walk through a process of, first of all, increasing the number of options we're going to consider. Uh, a lot of times we look at, oh, it's got to be this or that, A or right. B, you know, red or green. And, that's, and, and the problem is the best decision may be something completely different. If you only look at one or two, you're missing number 45. And so let's, let's begin to expand the options we're considering, a list a lot of different ways that we can do yeah. that in there. Most common is called brainstorming, but there are a lot of others. Just dreaming, getting people around you oftentimes can help that. And then if you have a huge list and once you feel like it's like the microwave popcorn stopped popping, okay, let's bring it back down. Let's get rid of some of these that are ridiculous. Uh, we we want to keep the ridiculous ones while we're expanding, but now let's get it down to a few that we can effectively evaluate. Let's take a look at each. Let's assess each of these, which are going to be things that, that really speak to our values, what we want to see happen, that don't compromise things in terms of our ethics, things that we feel are right or wrong, and, and which we believe are going to give us the best outcome, and then ultimately yeah. we decide. We make a decision. Yeah. And it's great if we know for sure. We don't always get to know that, but if we do, then we move forward. And then and then once we made that decision, then step four is is uh, writing the new story, telling the new story. Really, I use the word telling because it's going to involve other people, and we need to bring everybody involved who's going to be affected by it, come up with a good plan, uh, let everybody who's going to be a part of implementing it know what they need to do to make it happen. And then another big part of that is to uh, go back and proofread, all right? Especially something that's ongoing, like if I'm starting a new program, a new service, like so many churches in this season of this uh, pandemic, we had to go online, never done online church before. After the first week, you get together and say, okay, what worked, what didn't work? That's, that is doing the proofreading. Okay, we need to adjust this, we need to adjust that. Maybe you guys that arise may be doing it differently now than you did the third week in March when you had the first launch. Right. Um, but you took some time to evaluate that and said, okay. And then even then, whatever we're doing, we, it's good to go back through the process again, whatever that is. Yeah, that, that's so good. And it's so practical because it, it sounds longer, you know, when you're sharing the big story of it, like you're doing now, but realistically it can be a relatively simple four-step process, especially with big decisions. It's not necessarily that you're going to you're not going to handle this for, for use this method for when you're going to a restaurant tonight for dinner, you know, but with right, the big decisions right. in life, it really does help to sit back and process those. And it is a really good way of story shaping and creating that. Uh, a small sub theme inside of your book is, is talking about fixed versus growth mindsets. And so you get these people with a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and how that affects decision making too. You want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, some people uh, will come into any situation and just assume that this is the way I am. I cannot change. Uh, the situation is not going to change. And so they get stuck with just, boom, this is it. Uh, and and the problem is those people will never improve. That's right. the sad thing. And so right. it's become um, – 
uh, a real significant way of even evaluating, assessing people. A growth mm -hmm. mindset says, okay, I made a mistake, but we can do better next time. Let's do yeah. this. Let's do this as an organization. And so that's part of this whole assessment piece, again, at the end, uh, but also even at the beginning, if we evaluate ourselves as we start this whole process, like, like you said, whatever kind of situation, am I willing to change? Am I willing to think outside of who I am and, and who I've been to improve myself in the long run? Yeah, I, I personally love that because I feel like uh, so many times we become an echo chamber because we only, uh, we're not taking ourselves deeper and we just repeat what we've heard over and over and over. And we're saying the same things throughout life instead of um, really pushing ourselves. Around our staff, we say this a lot. We say we need to live on the edge of our incompetence. And so always being at that place mm -hmm. where we feel incompetent. I don't know this and I feel awkward. Uh, sometimes we say it this way. We say we should always be willing to be a freshman again, right? That, that's your world, right? <laughs> should always mm -hmm. be willing to be that freshman yeah, for sure. to the class and is super intimidated by everything going on and you don't understand any of it. But if you're going to grow, you have to allow yourself to get in that environment all over again. Because let's be real, if you're the smartest person in the room, that works for a short, short time. Um, but long-term you, you got to keep growing and, and getting in rooms with people smarter than you and, and learning from them. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I love it. You know, I get to teach masters and doctoral courses to megachurch pastors mm -hmm. and you know, they come in incredible success. If they come in the classroom and they say, I can always learn, I can always grow and they'll devour it. And by the end of the program are like, wow, this is incredible. I got to tell my friends I'm leading at another level. Mm -hmm. And, and yet there are other people who are out there on the street. Well, I'm just a bum and never going to change. Well, yeah, you're not going to change because you exactly. just told yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so good. Carol Dweck got, it was profound stuff and she's been incredibly influential with that mindset. Yeah. All right. So um, before we get off, uh, one more thing I'd love for you to share because I just think it's such a great story. Obviously God speaks to us in unique ways on occasions and, um, and you moved literally across the country about as far as you can from the Northwest to the Southeast because in a unique situation, God spoke to you through a prophetic word and, and a vision that God gave somebody and, and left you from, uh, led you from Northwestern to Southeastern. And so just, just share that story, just because I just think it's so encouraging for people to hear. Right. Yeah. I, well, I loved, I was teaching at Northwestern University, our sister school near Seattle. Had a part-time job overseeing the branch campuses of the multi-site church. And we loved it. Uh, I had Taking that job in 2008, right in the height of the uh, the real estate crash, and we tried to sell our house, and there was no selling the house, and so on it being landlords, and I just figured I was never, ever going to buy a house again. I mean, just, you know, that until who knew when things were going to come around, yeah. and it had been there four and a half years at, at Northwest, loved it, loved the experience there, and suddenly it hit me one day, wait a second, I'm a veteran. I've never used my VA benefit. I wonder if that would enable me to buy a house because the housing market had started to turn and I knew in Seattle, if I didn't buy, let me tell you, on a professor's salary, even with a part-time pastor's salary, I was not going to be able to afford a house very much longer. And uh, what, there was a lady in the church who was a realtor and she checked it out and said, sure enough, yeah, you can qualify, but man, houses were going like crazy. I, there, there'd be a showing at 10 o'clock. By 10.15, there was an offer on the table. So it was... It was, we knew we had to move quickly and we found this beautiful house on a floodplain and it was like, oh, did we do it? Did we not do it? And prayed through it and agonized and knew, oh, went ahead and put some money down on that and all of a sudden get an email, uh, a Facebook message out of the blue from a lady at the church I used to pastor. I hadn't seen her in three or four years. And she said, Pastor Allen, I, I keep getting this vision 
uh, and the exact wording's in the book, but in essence, she just said, I keep getting this, this vision of God from you. It's like you're in the midst of a flame of fire. And, you know, fire is a, a good thing. You know, it's a fire that cleanses. And, and yeah. it's like, I sense God wants to do something new in your ministry. Does this mean anything to you? And I wrote her back there, well, thank you, Jennifer. I, you know, I love being here in Northwest, and, but I'm always open to whatever God has. And then she said, she sent it back later, like in the middle of that night. I was pressing in the Lord to you more, and he wants you to know. I just sense you're going to be sending balls of fire around the world but he wants you to know how much it's going to cost you. Hmm. And uh, he just thought about that. And less than a week later, and I'd totally forgotten about that, got a call from Dr. Bill Hackett, the provost at Southeastern. Alan, we want you to come be our dean. And I'm like, what in the world? Oh, you made me apply a bunch, gets a bunch of other people. No, no, we want you. I'm like, oh, well, I knew my former dean was now the president, Ken Ingalls. So that was probably the connection there. But they right. flew our family out. And, um, I uh, like Glenn Sweet, I'd mentioned had just spoken of Southeastern. He said, I hope you consider God's doing some great things there. Even the president at Northwest said, and provost there said, we don't want to lose you, but you'd be well, well suited for that position. And we came out and uh, just agonizing over it. And at first thinking, no, but even my wife and my kids were thinking to make a great dean. So I thought, well, okay, we'll go it. And they flew me out for a day of interviews, did a red eye flight from the West coast, <laughs> had two hours of sleep on the plane and get up there 12 hours of nonstop interviews, different people every hour, having <laughs> dinner with the uh, vice presidents at the end. And one of the vice president, I, it just hit me. I was talking with him like, Oh, you know, that's right. I had that, that Facebook message. I wonder, and I'd pull it up on my phone, flipping through, get to uh, put that up there and I'm showing it to him. He starts laughing. I'm going, what? What are you laughing about? And he was wearing a shirt, just like the one I'm wearing right here. And he points, <laughs> Southeastern University, fire. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, Lord, maybe you're in this after all. And, uh, and it's been, it was hard. I mean, it was hard in some crazy ways I didn't expect. Mm -hmm. It cost me some things for sure. But it has been a joy beyond measure. I walk across the campus and the people I've gotten to teach and work with and lead it is just unreal. People like Brent Simpson. I mean, come on, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> yeah. Listen, you are truly sending out balls of fire around the world now. And I just think that's such a cool story of how, I mean, I've, and I've had this happen in my life so many times, people speak something over you and you're like, Oh yeah, that's great. Thank you. You know, and it really doesn't resonate, doesn't hit home. And you're just thinking that's just some charismatic person, you know, being, being nice. And, and, uh, and then you come back, you know, weeks or months later and you're like, wait a minute, I see it now and it all starts to make sense. And sometimes right. that is how yeah. God leads us for sure. Yeah, he does. Yes, yeah. he does. All right. So Dr. Ehler, um, how do people get your book if they are interested into it? Or uh, I'm assuming. You well, you can go to bigdecisionsbook.com or alanehler.com. I also have a weekly uh, devotional blog um, right now going through the book of Acts and taking a look at Paul's decisions one at a time with reflections on them. Uh, you can also get it at Amazon. It's published by Zondervan. So you can get it at zondervan.com too, but I think they'll probably point you over to Amazon to get it. And they'll have some good bookstores too. Awesome. And it's alanehler, A-L-A-N-E-H-L-E-R.com. That's it. Awesome. And I assume you also speak if a company wants you to come in and talk about decisions or anything like that. I assume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love I, it. Love to preach, speak, whatever. And, and, I, and I can vouch for Alan as a incredible communicator, uh, really has a gift once he gets the microphone and on stage. He's, he's a very special communicator. So, all right. Well, I hope this has been practical. I hope it's been a, a, a benefit to you guys who are listening or watching. And we all know we're going to make big decisions. So let's make those big decisions wisely. And that's what this is all about. So God bless you guys. Look forward to seeing you again in the future.
I hope you enjoyed this conversation today, and I especially hope it added value to you. If you enjoyed it, would you do me a favor and give us a five-star rating on your podcast provider? It really helps to get the word out. And of course, if you share this content with your friends, that would be great too. And until next time, I hope you continue creating a better future. I look forward to being with you again soon.